Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program. I have never stood alone and navigated my own life. Some days I feels like a plastic grocery bag tumbling through the middle of an empty schoolyard. This program features the work of 2013 writer Kate Carol DeGutis. Curator Stephanie Kalis spoke with her in an interview. My work as a rule looks at the intersection of sexuality and language, and I'm adding a sort of a third component, if you will, which is gender presentation, because I don't present like a traditional woman. Um, I look very butch. Um, so I'm looking at those things and, and where they intersect and what happens if we can't find the language or the language doesn't yet exist to name who we are, how we look, who we love. My humor really comes honestly from my family. Um, my mom and both my sisters work in the medical field. My mom was an ICU charge nurse for years. And um, they deal with life and death, right, every day. And you have to laugh at that. So we have this black humor and this ability to laugh at ourselves, too. And I think if you don't have that, these big issues, divorce, right, uh, sexuality, presenting your gender differently in a world that so values conformity, it would crush you, right? All, all those things would crush you. And so if I have a, a spiritual bent, it's finding the humor in life. Now we'll hear a selection from Kate's live reading. I came out in 1978, which was nine years after the Stonewall Rebellion, which launched the modern gay rights movement. I came out at a time when you had to be very, very quiet. Consequently, I didn't date in junior high or in high school. I met the woman who would become my wife in the freshman dorm of my university, and we were together for 23 or 24 years, depending on who you ask. <laughs> When our marriage ended, I, uh, I got almost immediately involved with another co-ed, a woman with whom I was going to graduate school. When she left five years later, I found myself dating at age 47 for the very first time. This is my essay, What Does a Lesbian Bring on a Second Date? <laughs> I don't recognize myself in the mirror. It's not that I have that Oliver Sacks disease where I mistake my wife for a hat. I don't have a wife anymore. It's that over the past six years, I've lost 75 pounds and have shaped my shoulders, arms, and pecs into the kind of butch body I've always wanted. Sometimes I'll catch a glimpse of myself in my black 33-inch Levi's and my Duchamp shirt made from Italian cotton, the purple one with the floral patterning, or my Bugatti Omo shirt with the square buttons. I will see how thin I've gotten, and I will think, wow. <laughs> Who is that good-looking butch? <laughs> Which is why I found myself on a Wednesday afternoon when I should have been working, uploading a few pictures to the online dating site OkCupid. <laughs> because the way you meet girls in 2013 is on the internet. Here is the horrifying thing that happens when you create your profile. The women rate you. <laughs> Less than two hours after my profile went live, Fun for Girls rated me four out of five stars, and Salmon Girl rated me five out of five. <laughs> Given the dearth of written information in my profile, I can only assume they were rating me based on my pictures. And I should have been flattered. Except, why did Girl and Boat only rate me three out of five stars? 
Same thing with me, it. It was a shark tank and my photos were the chum bucket. <laughs> After the ratings, the emails began arriving from women whose profile I'd investigated and by investigate, I mean looked at briefly. Unless you're willing to pay $14.95 a month to surf anonymously, any woman whose profile you look at is notified. That's why I had an email from Otter Spirit 17 <laughs> She got right down to business. Apparently, I'm too old for you, although I fall within the age range of women you said you were willing to date. Well, I just wanted to tell you I really like your pictures. Good luck on your search. I actually had to click on Otter Spirit 17's profile again to remember what she looked like. She had lovely high cheekbones and auburn hair, but she stated very clearly that she was looking for a special lady to share her life with. I just wanted to look at the menu. <laughs> the next email was unsolicited from a woman whose profile I'd not seen. She must have missed that I listed my occupation as writer. Therefore, her wish to be partnered with me in tell, death do us part, <laughs> could not be granted. I chose my pictures carefully. I work in marketing. I understand the importance of product positioning. Even though I didn't quite feel ready to date, I had seen all the commercials. You know, it can help you look younger too. Or if you're not whitening, you're yellowing. I figured at some point I want to do more than just peruse the profiles and I should look better than a product from the Harriet Carter catalog. Should be positioned instead like something you'd find in Hamacher Schlemmer or the Title IX catalog. In the first photo, I wore a blue baseball cap with green trim and a red life jacket and I was floating in a kayak on the Deschutes River. The required caption didn't say that my ex-almost wife, Katrina, took this picture or that she was goading me to smile and show that, although I'd fallen out of the boat and blamed her, I had, in fact, enjoyed myself. <laughs> my caption said simply, May 2008. Another picture showed me at Pike Place playing a cigar box ukulele. I was in red again wearing my showers pass bike jacket. Cyclists would recognize it, I figured, and it would increase my sporty butch credibility. <laughs> Finally, I uploaded a black and white photo taken by one of the nieces of my ex-almost wife. Apparently, this picture made her almost wish she had not left me for a married man, 17 years her senior, only six months after we'd purchased engagement rings. The caption did not say, post-surprisingly unexpected and ego-crushing breakup. Those pictures captured my essence, and now I was using them to try to capture someone new. I feel profoundly ambivalent about this. I like the idea of dating, but in reality, I'm afraid. In my head, it is 2007, and I am a 42-year-old out lesbian who is not yet fully accepting of her butch self, so deeply in love with a bisexual woman, so completely vulnerable that when, five years in, she begins an affair and leaves nine weeks later, I spend several drunken hours on the precipice of the St. John's Bridge before weaving back to my half-empty condo. Or... It is 1984, and I'm a 19-year-old closeted co-ed kissing a girl from Payette, Idaho, and am so shocked when this woman kisses me back that I stay with her for 23 years. <laughs> or it is 1978, and I'm a 14-year-old closeted kid, terrified to make the first move, 
lest I get rejected, or worse. Katrina and I flirted briefly, intensely, before I worked up the nerve to kiss her. She kissed me back, and as far as I was concerned, that locked us into a multi-year contract. <laughs> because that's the answer to the riddle, a U-Haul. A lesbian brings a U-Haul to the second date. I didn't even wait that long. But after Katrina left me and after I picked myself up off the floor, I decided maybe I didn't need a moving van on the first or second date, or maybe at all. Look, because of this huge physical transformation I've undergone, I often don't recognize my body in the mirror. But this is just my physical body. Imagine my emotional transformation. I have been a we with one woman or another for 30 years. I have never been an I. Never mind my biceps. I'm not sure I'd recognize my soul, essential self, if I slid into a diner booth across from her. My stories all begin with one time we. I have never stood alone and navigated my own life. Some days I feels like a plastic grocery bag tumbling through the middle of an empty schoolyard. Other times, it's like a delicious stillness, and I find myself reveling in such deep quiet that I can hear every random thought, every odd impulse that crosses my brain. The surprise is that in this aloneness, I find connection in a way that I never realized when I was a we. From the morning moments with my Starbucks baristas, you're ordering half-calf, girl? You must be getting over her if you can tolerate caffeine again. <laughs> to breakfast with a poet friend where we both weep over our oatmeal and grimace laugh about being oldest daughters who try to control the world, to the 72-year-old man on the bike path outside of Tucson, Arizona, who rides me to the next trailhead and bids me take care. While I would still like a few dates with a tall, hot femme, I don't want to do it at the expense of this new relationship. It seems as if for a while I should give myself a try. Thank you. Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production. The 2013 curator of this program is Stephanie Kalis. This episode of Sound Pages was produced by Mo Preventure. Recording engineers are CJ Lazenby, Tom Stiles, Mo Preventure, and Steve DeTori. Narrator is Christine Brown. And executive director of Jack Straw Productions is Joan Rabinowitz. Theme music by the Seattle Jazz Composers Ensemble, produced through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. The Jack Straw Writers Program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, For Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, the Paul G. Allen Family Foundation, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology, available for purchase, and featured online at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening. <laughs>